Will you know what to do if a medical malpractice case is filed against you? Welcome to the Business of Medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Alan Adelman, a medical malpractice attorney at Adelman Chef and Smith in Annapolis, Maryland. Alan has been engaged exclusively in the practice of hospital and healthcare law, including the defense of medical malpractice cases for over 30 years. Counselor, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, what is the first thing I should do as soon as I discover that a claim has been filed against me? The very first thing you ought to do is go secure the medical record. Make sure it doesn't get lost. Make sure it doesn't get altered or changed or damaged in any way. A missing or an altered medical record can take a very defensible case and turn it into an indefensible one. And if I'm a physician who makes poor judgment and decides to alter that medical record, then what am I doing for myself? Well, as soon as you alter a medical record, you have completely tarnished your credibility in the case. You will come across to any jury as somebody who can't be trusted, and that is going to carry over into your clinical judgment and the way you handle the case. Normally, we see cases where there are altered medical records, and by altered, I mean people who go back and simply put in late notes. They don't change anything. They just add to it or embellish But if that gets discovered, it very often is the death knell for the defense of what may otherwise be a defensible claim. So rule number one is do not alter the chart. Don't go back and look at your notes and decide maybe they weren't quite as thorough as you would have liked, and now you're going to supplement them somewhat because that will look like you're covering yourself and it will definitely come back to haunt you. If you look at the record and you're not happy with it, first thing I would do is notify your insurance carrier have them assign an attorney, talk to the attorney about it, and the attorney can give you advice of how to best deal with it. But don't tamper with that medical record. Ellen, how do I differentiate myself between a threat and an actual suit? Will an actual suit present itself with someone coming to my office and handing me something? If there's an actual lawsuit, you have to be formally served with the suit papers. That's normally what we call a summons, which is a a notice from the court that you've been sued and that you have to file a response within a certain time, and then the complaint itself, which sets forth exactly what it is you're being sued for. Those are formal legal papers. They're pretty unmistakable. And so when they come in, that's when you've actually been sued. A letter from an attorney or a a letter from a disgruntled patient is not a lawsuit. Now, that person that walks into my office, are they a police officer, or can they just be someone, and then they see me, and they hand it to me, and say, you've been served, and they run out? It can be anybody. Very often, it's not going to be a police officer. Commonly, it's going to be a private process server who's going to come up and serve you with the papers, and it may be in your home, at your office, on the street, or anywhere. In some jurisdictions, lawsuits can simply be served by putting them in the mail. So it depends on the local jurisdiction exactly what kind of formal service of process is required. Alan, I'm having trouble breathing and my heart is racing just thinking about that happening. So I can imagine what doctors do once they're served. they got to do some pretty crazy things, I would imagine, in your 30 years. Well, some do. Most often is they do exactly what you said and they panic and they internalize it. I mean, that's a lawsuit, we understand, is a real blow to a physician because it is accusing them of doing something that's at the very heart of their profession, which is doing something wrong that injured a patient. And that's antithetical to everything they've ever tried to do. So most take it pretty hard. And the main thing we want you to do is just be calm, notify your insurance carrier, and let them appoint a competent attorney to represent you and then follow that attorney's instructions. Don't panic. Don't take it too hard. I don't want to be cynical, but 
Among those of us who defend medical malpractice cases, we often joke that doctors fall into two categories, those who've been sued and those who will be sued. Oh, that's that's funny. <laughs> Alan, if I don't know who my attorney is, because I've changed malpractice insurance companies every six months, who do I call first? I, I would assume I call the insurance company. That's exactly right. And most of the time, you won't know who your malpractice defense attorney is going to be. The insurance company is going to defend somebody. They have a panel of lawyers who do work for them that they have worked with over the years and they know are competent and qualified defense lawyers, and they will assign somebody, and that's who you want. So you want to notify your claims representative, your insurance company, right away so that they can get you in the hands of a good lawyer. Alan, is anyone out there going naked these days in terms of coverage? Not really. It's just too risky. Anybody who's on a hospital medical staff is generally not going to be allowed to go bare because the hospitals require insurance. So at the very least, you've got to be out in a private practice without any hospital privileges to even attempt that. And I just don't think it's very common. And what's the climate like in Maryland in terms of premiums? Are they going down or are they going up or staying the same? Well, they're pretty much stabilized here. They have taken some steps to try to bring some stability to the market and it seems to be working. There have not been the large increases that we've seen in past years, and things seem to have leveled out somewhat. I always mix up claims made and the other thing. Occurrence. Occurrence. Can you help define those for our audience? Sure. When you buy an insurance policy, a malpractice insurance policy, and just about any other insurance policy, you normally buy it one year at a time, and you get it for a policy year. So let's assume you buy your malpractice insurance with the effective date of January 1, just to make it simple. So it's going to be effective for that full calendar year. Now, in an occurrence policy, that policy that you've bought covers any claim or any incident that occurs during that year, regardless of when the claim actually is made. So if during that policy year you're a radiologist and you misinterpreted a mammogram and somebody gets breast cancer four years later, that policy will cover that because the occurrence, that is your alleged negligence, occurred during that policy year. Occurrence policies are getting much harder to come by. The insurance companies don't write them as much because, as you can understand, they've covered everything in that year, and so they're exposed for years to come with something that might come up later on that relates to an incident during the policy year. So what they write are what's called claims-made policies. Claims-made policies only cover claims that are made during that policy year. So back to the example I used, if you misread a mammogram, and the claim is made two years later, that claim is not made during the policy year, so it would not be covered. And you would not have any insurance for that claim if you did not renew that policy year after year or buy what we call a tail. And a tail coverage takes a claims-made policy and essentially turns it into an occurrence policy because by purchasing the tail and paying an extra premium, you have now arranged for that insurance company to cover anything that occurred during the policy year regardless of when the claim is made. A tail is also sometimes referred to as what we call an extended reporting endorsement, and that is because you can report that claim after the policy year and it will still be covered. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today, Alan Adelman, an attorney at Adelman Chef and Smith in Annapolis, Maryland, who specializes in medical malpractice. And we're talking about different types of malpractice policies, the most recent one being a tail. If I am 58 and I want to retire, Alan, do I have to buy something in addition to my current insurance with this company for 20 years? Do I still have to buy something? Very often not. 
most malpractice carriers have various kinds of programs where if you've been with them for a certain period of time, five, ten years, and you retire from active practice, they will give you a free tail. So that's something to keep in mind if you've been with a company for a number of years and think you might be retiring in the next three or four or five years, even though another company may come in and give you a lower premium today, mm-hmm. you may pay more for the tail with that new company than you would have the additional premium to stay with the old company and get the free tail. Yeah, that's good to know. So in general, how many years do you think you need to remain with a, a carrier for them to offer the free tail? We won't hold you to this. Generally, like five to ten years for most places. All right, so I, I should stop my moving around because every year we're changing carriers because we get a, a quote that's $10,000 less, and it pays to move. But eventually, it doesn't pay to move. Eventually, it may catch up with you. On the other hand, there's another way to deal with that occurrence-slash-claims-made issue, and that is when you go to the new company, you can buy what we call prior acts coverage or a nose. And that is, if you leave the company you've had and you don't buy the tail with the company you've had, with the new company, you say, I'll come with you, but I want you to give me prior acts coverage reaching back X number of years as part of my going with you now. So in effect, you've purchased it from the new company instead of purchasing the tail from the old company. So there are a lot of different ways you can deal with that transition from one company to another. So I'm 46 years old now, and if I don't retire for another 10, 15 years, I shouldn't have to really worry about it yet. Probably not. Okay. And how much insurance coverage should the average physician have? We all hear $1 million, $3 million. Well, of course, $1 million is the per claim number. $3 million is the annual aggregate, which means you can have up to three $1 million claims in that policy year. number is not one that is of concern most of the time. It's the per claim number. A million dollars is pretty standard. That's a number which I think is widely accepted, and most hospitals use that as a benchmark in, in many jurisdictions. Do you want to have more than that? Maybe. I mean, if you're in a high-risk specialty like OB, you might want to go to $2 million so that there's enough insurance coverage that hopefully you can get a bad baby claim that's worth several million dollars settled. On the other hand, if you can buy too much insurance. If you go out and buy $5 million or $7 million worth of insurance coverage, your insurance carrier may want to defend the case rather than pay the full policy limits, and you may end up going to trial in cases that could have been settled for policy limits, as they say, for a million dollars. That's good advice right there. Don't have too much because the other side will look and see how much you got. That's exactly right. And, and most of the time, the vast majority of cases can be settled for policy limits because most plaintiff's lawyers are not interested in getting a verdict in excess of the policy limits where they end up chasing some physician for to collect 5 or $10 million because most physicians don't have 5 or $10 million to begin with. Well, speaking of that, Alan, how safe is my house these days? If you're married and it's held jointly with your wife, it's probably very safe. If it's in your individual name, any individual assets you have could be subject to being attached if you have a judgment against you in excess of your insurance coverage. What other things are potentially able to be taken away from me. I know my 401k is safe. I know any sort of annuities are safe. What else is safe? Any other investments you have that are not part of a formal retirement program are potentially targets for to collect a judgment if, if it gets that bad. Although I've been doing this for 30 years and I have yet to see any money actually collected out of a pocket from a physician. It's just, it's, it's very rare to happen. Say that again, because there are attorneys out there who want to scare me and my fellow physicians into developing extremely complex walls so that they don't get any of our 
personal assets, and you're saying that that is rare. It's very rare. As I say, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've yet to see a physician actually pay anything out of pocket. Frankly, if you sleep better at night having that, then do it. And uh, I'm wondering about my partners. If I'm named in a suit, are their necks also out to hang? Well, you use the word partner, and that's a key word, because if you have a true partnership, then every partner is liable for the actions of all other partners. But there aren't true partnerships that are used commonly anymore. Most people have what's called a PA, a professional association, a PC, a professional corporation, or an LLC. Those are corporate entities, and the other members or stockholders in those entities are not liable for their, quote, partners. Alan Adelman, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. If you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit our website, reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Bryan. I'm with the Methodist Hospital Sports Medicine Program in Houston, Texas. You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.